2: We were just talking about Taylor Swift at the 2009 VMAs. Oh, great. What
3: video was it even?
2: So he was talking about single ladies, which arguably, I mean, it's a great video. <laughs> okay, so it's, 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 it's a fantastic so what,
3: what did Taylor Swift win for?
2: Oh, You Belong With Me.
3: Also a good one.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> two tough Man.
3: Hello, welcome to another episode of the Weeds on the Fox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias. We're here with Jane Coaston, Dara Lind. I strongly considered doing an episode about the IPCC climate change report, and you know the ten years humanity has to drastically twelve years. alter twelve years drastically alter the trajectory of carbon emissions. But Dave Roberts turns out to be in Spain for some reason. So we're talking about Kanye West.
0: Mm-hmm. We have 12 years yeah. to say the the yeah, this. Is, this is my, my takeaway. <laughs> the, the, the actual, actual most report. important
3: thing. So for viewers back home, listeners, who maybe didn't witness it, Jane, like what, what happened?
2: So purportedly on Thursday, Kanye West met with President Donald Trump in the Oval Office alongside legendary football player and lacrosse player Jim Brown, perhaps one of the greatest lacrosse players of all time. Don't forget about that. And allegedly their discussion was going to focus on criminal justice reform. Though that's not exactly what happened. Uh, During the meeting, Kanye discussed how the MAGA hat made him feel like Superman, the concept of time. It's a myth. A hydrogen-powered airplane that should replace Air Force One. The 13th Amendment, which is a trap door, and how in buildings you don't have a 13th floor, so why do we have a 13th Amendment? Which is actually a reference to – there's been a lot of people talking about this. He does not mean that abolish the 13th Amendment in terms of its abolishment of slavery. Yes, he, he, he's what does about. he
3: think the 13th Amendment says? I, th- I found this very puzzling. So the 13th Amendment was adopted after the Civil War, War. It is the ab- and it abolishes slavery.
2: But Ava DuVernay made the documentary 13th, which points out that technically within the 13th Amendment, it allows for— the use of and I'm using slavery with quotes. I'm making air quotes with my hands right now in the instances of prison. So there's been an argument that mass incarceration is itself a form of slavery, and that's actually been something that Kanye has talked about. Um, the song New Slaves, which the ACLU went through, and it was like, yes, we are talking about mass incarceration. So yeah, and but Kanye also discussed how violent black people are. As black people, we have to take responsibility for what we're doing. We kill each other more than police officers. He does bring up pardons, uh, though in reference to Larry Hoover, which is hilarious for anyone who follows rap and recognizes that Larry Hoover was extremely violent and is very much in prison. And he talks about police brutality and says that police officers, you know, if someone disrespected me, I might shoot them, and that the solution to that is love. And then he said that, you know, he decried stop and frisk and which is interesting because Trump had talked about how great stop and frisk is earlier this week and said Chicago should take it up. And then Trump said, please have to do something. And then Kanye went on to something about his shoes. Adidas came up a lot during this conversation, for the record, with which uh, Kanye has an apparel deal. It was a strange day.
0: So I want to Contrast this with the the statement that got sent out by White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley to the White House press pool in advance of this meeting. Because like everyone who knows anything about Kanye West, which apparently does not include large numbers of the White House press corps. Which um, is, side note. Weird to Ridiculous. me. Yeah, the Very number of people who were tweeting things yesterday, like, like I've never is it heard of Kanye. Kanye or Kanye.
2: Or I've never heard a Kanye song. I'm like, yes, you have. Right. You right. have. Anyway, you just don't know it. Um,
0: anyone who who is been paying attention to news that is not Donald Trump in the last decade knew that this was going to be absurd because this is the man who had literally, you know, tried to hijack his own SNL performance two weeks ago by giving a monologue about, you know, his views on politics and cosmology. But the White House's read on this in advance was— The discussion will be centered on President Trump's historic work to benefit all Americans, such as urban revitalization, the creation of opportunity zones, new workforce training programs, record highs in African-American employment, the creation of manufacturing jobs, ideas from his meeting with African-American pastors, potential future clemencies, and addressing the massive violent crime surge in Chicago." What I love about this statement is both that it says all Americans and then lists a lot of things that are pretty clearly things that they think black urban Americans would be interested in, which is a reverse all lives matter that I've never seen before, Mm -hmm. but also just that it kind of accepts that— Donald Trump doesn't have a black agenda. Kanye West doesn't have a black agenda. The point of getting Donald Trump and Kanye West in a room together is to get photos of Donald Trump and Kanye West in a room together.
3: Right. Yes. Here's what I think was interesting about this, right, was what Kanye said about the MAGA hat, right? There were two prompts to it. Like, one was, you know, amidst the sort of— I don't know, rambling incoherence. He's also like a great artist and a guy who is in in many ways, I think, like insightful about the human condition and symbolism and words and sort of similar to Donald Trump in that way, right? Like not a policy person, but somebody who does understand something about the world, right? right? And symbolism and meaning. And he says straightforwardly, like I think this was the most high profile statement I had heard of something that I think is obvious, right? Which is that. Make America Great Again is an implicitly racist slogan, right? That like, as Kanye said, like this is exclusionary to black people and many others for whom the idea of this kind of backwards-looking nostalgia makes no sense. But then Kanye rejecting what I think people want to see, prominent African Americans who are also really rich and maybe benefit from tax cuts— want you to say, due to this racially inflected symbolism that you correctly detect at the heart of the Trumpian political project, I reject you, Donald Trump. But, like, Kanye didn't say that, right? He said that he found Hillary's I'm with her slogan to be alienating. And he said that the hat made him feel like incredible energy that had been missing from not having his father around. And it was a powerful— statement of gender politics solidarity with Trump and Trumpism that did not deny the racially alienating aspect of it but sort of looked past it and reached his hand out, right? And he like literally made a hat that just says make America great, right? It's like his offer of a more inclusive vision of Trumpism that would be masculinist but not racially exclusionary and we could all be happy again. And like Kanye is obviously not reflective of the views of the typical black voter Mm -hmm. in this. But something that I think is interesting is that if you rolled back to 2013 and somebody put forward the hypothetical, like what if Republicans tossed overboard like any meaningful effort at minority outreach and instead ran what everybody considers to be like the most overtly racist campaign of all time, or at least in decades, you'd be like, well, there will be a backlash, right, among people of color. And from what we've seen, there hasn't been, right? Like Trump is very unpopular with African Americans, but so is every other Republican president. He is somewhat better with Latinos, uh, no worse than Mitt Romney. And there has been an incredible surges of political energy in the United States, but it's been mostly among college-educated women, not the like posited racial backlash. And Kanye is there, I feel like, to me, reflecting that, that like the real political movements in Trumpism have happened along gendered lines rather than racial.
0: Which is interesting. Before we move this conversation forward, I want to issue a really important fact clarification, which is Kanye didn't talk about the racism of MAGA at the press conference, right? When he's in front of Donald Trump, he's talking about, I didn't feel I'm with her as a man who didn't have his father around. What he does is he then goes to an Apple store in Georgetown where religion reporter Jack Jenkins happens to be there and takes some video and says that he told Trump that Make America Great Again was racist and he should just use Make America Great instead and made his own Make America Great hat and Trump put it on. We have no evidence that any of this happened. I thought
3: we Saw a photo of the Make America Great hat. Did we I
0: see that? I thought we saw that in the Apple Store. Yeah, yeah it yeah, was yeah. not okay. in. There's the- no. We have not seen a photo of Donald Trump wearing a Make yeah. America Great hat. And I think that this is like worth pointing out, both because Kanye is clearly savvy enough that he's not necessarily like criticizing Trump to Trump's face. Yeah, but also that set of actions attempts to walk a very fine line between. Coming no, see, look, as look. I got, a, I got
3: There's a photo right here. It's Kanye, Jared, Ivanka, and Donald. Are, They're at, it, at the Resolute it, Desk. Does it say oh, okay. okay. "Make Trump, Trump, America Great Again"? And Trump yeah, no, no, is wearing no, Trump the, the, the No
0: Again hat. So yeah. this oh, really yeah. happened. So, okay. Kanye TMZ is not, not says it bullshit. happened. Okay. Well, the, question, the question is what the conversation about MAGA looked like. Yes. Yes. Uh, in the room where it happened. To to get
2: away from this, just for a second, I think it's really important, and on the lines of gender, is that. You know, Trump's popularity with black men has gone up with black women, black women who, you know, routinely are able to see things that sometimes other people cannot see. You know, black women who in Alabama were like, we're going to vote for Doug Jones because we're not voting for Roy Moore. Come on now. Black women remain like uniformly opposed to Trump. And I I think that when we're talking about the like slight popularity increase, we're talking about, yo. most recent polling I saw is that with African-Americans in general, 93% oppose Trump. Sure, but I mean, levels
3: versus rates, right? So that it's like, yes, African-Americans remain overwhelmingly against the Republican Party, right? And white women are more favorable to the Republican Party than black men are, right? But the change right, is that Trump compared to Mitt Romney is more popular with men, right, within all racial groups and less popular with women. But there hasn't been, like, I think people would have said, right, like five years ago, that if you did what Trump did, that the Republican share of the Latino vote would go down from 25, 30 percent to like 15, 20 percent, right, that there would be a Backlash, and there hasn't been, whereas there really has been among women, right, across the board. And Kanye is not typical, right, in this sense, but he emblematizes, I think, some real change and a conflict with the expectations that we sort of had as to how Trump was was changing the world. And then, you know, you drill down into it, right? And you're like, well, what is the alleged basis? of this, like, Trump-Kanye rapprochement. And it's, like, some vague hand-waving about criminal justice reform issues that, like, a Democratic administration would also do. Right, right. right. Like, there's this, like, vague rationalization of, like, what are we talking about and, like, what is being accomplished here. But it doesn't amount to anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like as much as I disapprove of doing kind of, like, taking people seriously and not literally as a as a <laughs> as a hermeneutic because it's a very good way to kind of use politicians as your own sock puppets. I think that it's possible to come up with a much more robust theory of what Kanye West sees in Donald Trump and vice versa than just like, well, occasionally Donald Trump makes some noises about giving some people some pardons. Right. Something that is interesting I just want to point out is that
2: There has been this entire, like, weird media discussion of this moment, and it has involved, like, people on CNN accusing Kanye West of being, like, getting into minstrelsy or being, like, like, saying things about him being, like, a bad Negro, which I'm just like, one, no, no, never say that. Don't say that. That's terrible. Stop saying that. But I think that there is this weird, you know, and I think we're going to get to this. There's been an argument made that conservatives have just spent the last, like, 30 years looking for their own celebrities. And Kevin Williamson wrote a piece in National Review today that's saying that, like, Republicans are not cool. Republicans have never been cool. But I don't think he really gets into the fact that Republicans have been trying to be cool since, like, 1982. You know, you didn't have Nancy Reagan sitting on, like, Mr. T's lap for no apparent reason, a thing that took place. But I think that—
3: Ronald Reagan was kind of cool.
2: Okay, we're we're not going to get into this now. But I think it's interesting that you see this idea that Kanye West would have a unique ideas on criminal justice reform. <laughs> yes. Which you, you saw a reporter for the Daily Caller talking about like, you know, he was born impoverished and into a broken home and everyone responding like, no, he wasn't. Kanye West grew up in, like let's a middle class. This is
3: Benny Johnson. To be clear, it
2: was Benny Johnson, who I'm like, did you not look up that Kanye West's mother was like a college professor and his parents were were married when you were born and just this idea that like Kanye West becomes And this happens a lot that when you have a prominent black person that somehow they become all black people and that Kanye West becomes a representative of just, you know, everyone from LeBron James to Alan Keyes to me to my dad to the guy over there. But this weird pushback and talking about Kanye West in this way really kind of obfuscates the idea that what they were supposed to be talking about never actually came up. You know, at no point did anyone really get into, like, you know, the fact that Jeff Sessions has said that he's going to file a statement of interest in court to stop efforts by the Chicago Police Department, where Kanye West is from, to do major reforms, including making sure police officers have to record when they draw their weapons. And this comes just after last week, where Jason Van Dyke was found guilty of second-degree murder for the murder of Laquan McDonald, who was shot 16 times, and you can see it on camera because there was a dashcam video that was used in this case. And Sessions has repeatedly—and the administration itself has had this weird dueling view of criminal justice reform where you have Trump and Jared Kushner having meetings with people and issuing the occasional pardon, but then you have the actual people in power here, like mainly Jeff Sessions, you know, trying to push back against marijuana legalization at the state level, Or saying that civil asset forfeiture is a good idea and we should come back to that. And Mitch McConnell quietly removing provisions from the omnibus spending bill that would have limited the use of civil asset forfeiture. And you've seen time and time again how the administration, you know, when you have the the murder of Botham Jean or you have these police shootings that have taken place in which – Police are not found to use qualified immunity policies that basically allow them to get away scot-free. You're not really seeing the administration do anything about that. And you've also seen the slow walking of criminal justice reform. You know, Mitch McConnell said just this week that if we have 60 votes, we may do something after the midterms, which is like when my mom would be like – if you do these 17 different things, we may do this for dinner and we never did the thing for dinner. And I think that there's something to be said about how, like, We've been talking a lot, and a lot of people have been discussing the visuals of this meeting. But the substance of what they were actually supposed to be talking about never really happened. And he shouldn't have been talking about it in the first place.
0: Okay, so we've got a lot here, and I want to kind of impose some kind of organizing principles on it. So uh, I gather we need to
4: take a break, and, and then let's kind of get into this some more. Absolutely. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics Podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash NAP. That's N-A-P-P. Support for The Weeds comes from Burrow. Okay, are you ready for the understatement of the century? Buying furniture can be frustrating. You end up visiting a bunch of stores searching aimlessly for the right pieces to match your home, then spend hours trying to get those pieces together, or together again if you got it wrong the first time. And that's even if you were able to get it through the door. Burrow is a furniture company that wants to make the whole thing easier. B U R R O W dot com slash weeds for fifteen percent off. Burrow dot com slash weeds. So, first of all, The reason that I read out the
0: uh, Hogan Gidley statement from before the meeting is it seems pretty clear to me that Donald Trump's people didn't see this as a criminal justice reform meeting. Like usually when they have meetings with black people in the room, they're Mm -hmm. saying it's about criminal justice reform. And this was kind of billed as a Donald Trump's agenda for quote-unquote all Americans and the specific criminal justice issues that came up, while the kind of invocation of Chicago in there did embody this weird dualism in the Trump administration's approach to criminal justice. Like, I don't think that you can really fault them for saying we're going to hold a substantive meeting on criminal justice reform because they didn't say that. But I think that we're having a few different conversations that it's worth thinking about as different conversations. Conversation one is— What is going on in the reaction to Trump that has created or exacerbated a split between men of color and women of color where men of color appear to be much less repulsed by Trump than women of color are and may even be warming to him somewhat?
3: But also white people. I mean, it's right. It's the same, right?
0: Yeah, but I mean, I think that what we're seeing with white men is kind of the a continued trend for several sure. decades. Yes, what yes, we're yes. seeing with men of color yes. is a bounce. Sure. Um, conversation two, what is the actual explanation for the— simpatico between Kanye West and Donald Trump, and is what draws Kanye to Trump the same thing that draws, like, some other black men to Trump? Conversation three, what explains the conservative reaction to Kanye? Jane, I think you've, like, nailed the third one pretty easily, but I do think that it's worth thinking a little more about the first two and distinguishing them from each
3: other. So should we talk about the VMAs?
0: Yeah, I (laughs) mean— Yeah, like I, I think I think talking about the VMAs is certainly kind of one way to get into the second question of Kanye per se and whether that's reflective of a bigger thing. Yeah,
3: because right. so for those who don't know, right, a million years ago in two thousand nine,
2: which was thousands of years ago, to it be was clear.
3: It, it was so many news cycles ago. Taylor Swift won an MTV award for her video "You Belong with Me." Yes. And then Kanye West, in one of his kind of colorful moments, took the stage and he famously said, "'Feels good for you, Taylor, and I'm going to let you finish.'" But Beyonce had one of the greatest videos of all time, which was her, her
0: single ladies video, which was, for the record, empirically correct.
3: I would say the, the the weight of historical judgment is that Kanye was correct about this.
0: The weight of judgment at the time was that Kanye was yes. correct about so, but this. But I mean,
3: but I mean, it has continued to be the way yes. it, it yes. has held up. Right? I think most people's view is that Kanye was correct. Although, also, most people's view is that you're not supposed to jump up in the middle of somebody else's no. award acceptance ceremony. I don't think it would have been that big of a deal, but it happens to be the case that shortly afterward, John Harwood from CNBC was interviewing President Obama. And do you have to remember, this was in the midst of a, a really grave economic crisis. You know, they had a lot to talk about on the policy front, but Harwood thought it would be funny to ask Obama about this incident, and Obama was really harsh about Kanye, right? He called him a jackass, um, said various other things. Which gets into Obama's own respectability
0: politics. And and yes, and I mean, I think this
3: is important. I mean, I I am guessing what Kanye is thinking, but like, it's not that what Obama said about Kanye was so outrageous, exactly. And of course, if like Donald Trump referred to someone as a jackass after they did something that most people thought was kind of jackass behavior, nobody would mind anything of it. But like, Obama's famously mild-mannered, right? It was really hard. He never called John Boehner a jackass for, like, threatening to take the country into bankruptcy, right?
0: never with a hot mic. Right,
3: right, right. I mean, but, you know, in his public discourse, right? So, like, the Supreme Court, right, like, tossed out the Voting Rights Act, and he didn't call them jackasses, right? Like, Barack Obama's had a very studied, hyper-civility approach to, like, conservative politics, right? But when there was, like, a black man stepping out of line, particularly early Obama, was, like, really big on, like, smacking them back down. And I think this was something that people— you know, liked about him, right? I mean, not not all people, but it it enhanced it was, his political it appeal. It was a
0: very important way throughout Obama's entire political career for white people to trust him because he was willing to call out unruly black people, right? Right. And,
3: and and I think that there was significant later in Obama's presidency, right, when in the wake of Ferguson and Black Lives Matter, Obama came to be seen as more aligned with black grievance politics that cost him a lot of people who had really enjoyed that 2007, 2008, 2009 Obama was seen as saying, hey, look at me. I speak very conventional English. I wear a suit and a tie. I tell people to pull their pants up. Like I am the role model that white America wants black America to have, right? And so— One can understand from Kanye's point of view feeling kind of pissed off about this, I think, on a personal level and coming to dislike the nexus of the Democratic Party establishment, celebrity liberalism, and like the role that rich, famous black people are supposed to play in this – Dynamic.
0: I mean, I, that's an interesting read, but I also do think that there's something else going on that is less specific to, you know, Kanye West as a particular public figure. Kanye himself, like, has a very strong self-image of himself as a— or, I don't know what other kind of self-image you can have. He has a very strong self-image as a inevitably misunderstood genius, right? right? Like he's thought of himself for a long time as an artist who transcends genre, who transcends, you know, type of art, who is never going to be understood by the people around him in his own time, but who will be vindicated by some kind of higher judgment. And that plays into a certain strand of thinking that you shouldn't trust the information that you're being given by the man because the man doesn't understand or respect you. Right. You need to think for yourself. It's like I don't want to make the parallel to Kyrie Irving because both of them are black. But I think Kyrie Irving is the kind of useful comparison here because Kyrie Irving, NBA star, made a big deal earlier this year for – Joking, not joking, that he's convinced the world is flat because he saw a YouTube video. Right. And he he
2: has since walked that back and said, I was just having a really conspiratorial moment, which, you know, it happens. Yes. Who among (laughs) us has
0: not had a conspiratorial moment when speaking to the national sports press? Exactly. there's this kind of bespoke truth that— the internet and social media has made possible, where people who think of themselves as independent-minded, instead of going, oh, okay, I'm going to be the smartest person in the room by knowing more than everyone else, go, I'm going to be the smartest person in the room by thinking for myself and not accepting what other people tell me is true, right. which opens yourself up to a lot of conspiratorial thinking that you know most people reject out of basic common sense. Once you've accepted, I think, in particular, that the mainstream is going to tell you things about yourself and your history and your people that are wrong. And this yeah. is why I think the term hotep gets yes, thrown around yes. for particularly black, particularly men who are very susceptible to this mode of thinking that there has been this massive conspiracy to kind of take historical African greatness out of the world historical narrative. Right. Yeah,
3: and can I, you think, explain well, that? I have no yeah, yeah, idea what okay. that is. Oh, my
0: gosh. So, right, yeah. so it's a specific term and it is
2: generally in reference to – and I think the best way I can explain it is this idea that like we've been robbed of greatness. Right. And that the kings and queens of historic ancient Africa, which is very much a thing. You know, there were African bishops before the year 1500 who went to Rome. And like, there's been a lot of black history that has been in many ways taken away from many African Americans by virtue of slavery, by virtue of that separation that took place in which people were literally taken from their homes, brought to a new place, given a new name, told to speak this language they had never heard before and kept here under threat of death and then separated from their families. Which is true, but the issue with hotepness is that sometimes it gets into this. Yes, who is hotep? I think that it's been it's like an Egyptian term or something like that. Like it's it's an actual. And people get very mad about this, and I'm certain I'm not going to get, receive many emails about this. But what the problematic aspect of being hotep is a lot of conversations about how, like, and now African-American men are being feminized. Yeah. And that this, like, oh, that's, you know, that's the second act of, you know, what the man has done to the African-American man, which, one, I mean, this is why you get into, say, someone like Nation of Islam's Louis Farrakhan, who spends a lot of time talking about how, generally blaming jews for it but a lot of talk talking about the the feminization of the african american man that means that african american men are becoming gay or that that's why black women become lesbians because there aren't good men and that like this is all because you know there's been something done to the african american man and it's time for them to stand up against generally this concept of feminization and in some ways black women And that, like, black women are at some way at fault because— and then you get into— you know, it's the same people who talk a lot about, like, don't you know that we were kings and queens back then, like Nubian princesses, and then, you know, that then it gets into homophobia, which is bad.
0: Um, right. Yeah, so this, there are, like, two levels here, right? Yeah. Level one is this kind of cobbled-together bespoke history that while it does have grains of substantial truth, it opens you up to a whole range of conspiracies about what else are they trying to hide from you and that kind of thing. Right. The second level is that the idea that, What is being suppressed is in particular your masculinity strikes me as deeply resonant at a time when the reaction to Brett Kavanaugh has, I think, exposed some feelings among African-American men in particular that the history of Black men getting falsely accused of rapes and lynched has in some way some bearing on, you know, what is going on to Brett Kavanaugh now. Jamel Hill at The Atlantic wrote a piece this morning about— what she's witnessed among some African-American men in embracing Kavanaugh because they've kind of seen themselves in like, oh, yeah, if this kind of thing has happened to people like us in the past, instead of understanding that The dynamics by which black men were accused of rape had a lot more to do with race than with gender and with this kind of stereotype of the black man as a sexual predator in particular. But I think that's a useful way of understanding, you know, to the extent that what's happening in the response to Trump the resistance is this kind of very here are the good ways to express dissent not in the same oh you shouldn't protest that's disruptive kind of way we saw under Obama but in this let's make sure we don't let this anger go to waste let's build a movement let's register to vote the kind of organizational pro-social stuff that is coming out of it May not be as appealing to people who have either kind of already thought the system doesn't respond to them, yeah. or who are skeptical that doing the responsible thing is really the right way to kind of challenge the deeper problems in society. Exactly,
2: and you see that a little bit. You know, Bette Midler tweeted something saying that Kavanaugh shows that once again that quote from John Lennon, which I will now quote: that women are the niggers of the world, which is a quote again, and then a lot of black people were like, can we not do that? Can we not talk about the experiences of sexism, misogyny, and racism as being this like, ah, yes, I understand what racism is because I have experienced misogyny. And there's a sense that that separation exists, but it's weird that it exists. You know, you see black men and men of color responding to Trump by seeing in Trump something that is It's something that's kind of vaguely familiar, this idea that this man, this outsider who people always yell at about whatever he's doing or whatever his family is doing, that everything he does is wrong, but he keeps just pressing on. There's something to be said for seeing that as being kind of a feeling, a sense of familiarity. And there's actually been a lot of writing on how, you know, before Trump became— Donald Trump president of the United States, Donald Trump was hanging out a lot with hip-hop artists and rappers in New York. And they knew him, and they were very familiar with him. And this is something that, like, he had some understanding of. Donald Trump
0: has come up a lot in rap songs. Five thirty eight did a brilliant data journalism piece on this during yeah. during the campaign that just kind of tracked the collapse of Donald Trump's image in hip-hop yes. as Donald Trump became a political figure. Right. But then it's interesting how for
2: men of color, that's a narrative people could get into and for black women they're like absolutely not. no thank you. And you you saw a little bit that there's been this effort by some people on the right you know you saw that a little bit with like Amarosa and you see that with some people some figures at turning point or other organizations this idea that like getting black women on the side of Trump as these prominent figures is indicative of a larger sentiment among black women, but it's not. You know, black women have rejected Trump wholesale again and again.
3: Overwhelming. Right. A flip side of this, you know, as as you mentioned before, Jane, is the sort of changing profile of conservatism in America, which has become not like specifically more open to Kanye West, but like by turning Donald Trump, you know, like— Reckless billionaire, thrice married, children by all kinds of different women, all kinds of stories about affairs and, you know, like STDs were my personal Vietnam into the hero of the conservative movement, right? That is a very different type of figure that makes the conservative movement a more welcoming place for all kinds of wild and crazy male celebrities, right? So like Kid Rock becoming a a conservative icon, right? Ted
2: Nugent getting on board really early with something like, I mean, I could have predicted that many years
3: ago. Sure. But I mean, this is like, you know, so there's different like genres and demographic profiles of the fan base. So it's like easier to see like Ted Nugent wanting to align with the Republican Party than a hip pop guy. But the like basic dynamics of like rich, famous male celebrity who doesn't necessarily play by society's rules. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that would be a poor fit for a Mitt Romney White House. Right. So no matter what your oh your opinions on politics are right like because yeah. that is a vision of like a buttoned up mormon family man conservatism right, right. versus like donald trump he is a rich wild male celebrity right. who only gets what about... he wants takes what he wants yeah. and and that's something that is culturally different from you know sort of religious right conservatism right and it, they're equally or Perhaps the new one is like even more alienating to women than the old form of right. like traditionalist religion-soaked patriarchy. But it definitely opens the door to a different group of men who in the sort of earlier problematic, right, where you had like feminists versus the religious right. Yeah, There's a certain group of men who might side with feminists against the religious right but would be inclined to sign with Donald Trump against the feminists, right? But I think— It's a a bigger sort of grosser tent.
0: I mean, I do want to, you know, at least kind of withhold judgment in a couple of regards here, or or at least put this in a little more context. For one, we are talking about the margins, right? We're not—I don't think any of us would predict that Donald Trump is going to crack 50% approval with black men anytime soon. But the other thing here is that there's a dynamic both within— communities of color and separately within the traditional Donald Trump, you know, base going back to the primary of what is the relationship between approving of a politician and actually being civically engaged and voting for them. Because when we're talking about black men in particular, we are talking about a fairly low-pretensity voting group, not least because large numbers of them are disenfranchised, right? And and the relationship between the people who are directly disenfranchised and those who are not themselves disenfranchised but are in networks where people don't vote because they can't is something that is, I think, kind of beginning to come to public attention a little more but can't be dismissed. But even beyond just voting— there is suggestive evidence that African-Americans are less mobilized by the Trump era than their white peers. Right. Uh, Van Newkirk wrote about a public religion research and uh, institute uh, survey that they did with The Atlantic earlier this week that basically showed that Black people report that they are a little less civically engaged than they were two years ago, that they are less likely to consider running for office, that kind of thing. But – they're off higher baselines, like a lot more black people than white people report having been to a protest before Trump. Right. So right. it's it's really hard to tell the difference between just sheer civic exhaustion and like we tried and it didn't work. Right. And, well— It was really important for us to mobilize, but now maybe this dude in the White House isn't so bad after all. I think different people are making different calculuses along those lines, but I do think it's kind of worth thinking about, okay, is the actual outcome here politically that you have a vocal block of people joining the conservative movement, or is the outcome that people who were never all that civically engaged just aren't seeing the need to jump into the resistance?
3: Right.
1: So
2: something I want to get into is the concept that Kanye West has, by his embrace of Trump, ergo become a conservative, I think is a problematic concept. And you're seeing that across a lot of the right. People are using Kanye West as this tabula rasa to sure. prove that the hashtag <laughs> yeah. walkaway movement has worked or that, you know, African-Americans by this wide measure are going to be
3: deeply okay, persuaded. So, so let's agree. Like th- that is not true. Right. So, right. But that's let's they, try to yeah. explore, No yeah. one
0: is getting off the quote-unquote Democrat plantation so, because there so, is –
3: So th- there's an idea that has been introduced into the discourse though of a, a black conservative – Political tradition, right? And, and can, you, can you explain that for? Because yeah. I think I, I think this is is a really powerful concept, but like you have to understand what it means. Right, you to have to understand, understand black
0: conservatism outside the context of diamond and silk. Yeah, a- <sighs> okay. I can't. I, <laughs> I, I hang on. I'm sorry. Jay, <sighs> I, I'm, I'm trigger. Like, Jay, <laughs> tell,
3: tell us about Marcus Garvey.
2: So I think that, you know, one thing that's particularly interesting, and there's been a lot of research on this subject, is that African-Americans in general are not that liberal, but they do vote for Democrats. And there are many reasons for this. And there's been a long history of black conservatism, but through the particular lens of thinking about. Race, You know, you saw that from Booker T. Washington. You see that from someone like Marcus Garvey, who encourages a very specific form of black nationalism. But also, it's interesting because Marcus Garvey got a lot of support from white racists because he was like, I think we should go back to Africa. And a lot of white racists were like, we also think that that sounds like a great idea. It did not work out. Bad things happened. But I wrote a piece that went up today about the racism problem within the GOP and that, that has been around for, you know, the past 50, 60 years, because you knew that in the early 1960s and centering on the 1964 Republican nominee Barry Goldwater, whom African-American Republicans, of whom there were millions, because up until that point, the Republican Party had been a safe place for black political engagement. You know, when you talk about, and this is something that I think like a lot of people bring up now, is like, ah, Ida B. Wells was a Republican. I'm like, yes, Ida B. Wells was a Republican in 1904. You know, in the early 1960s, you see major figures like, Major League Baseball great Jackie Robinson, who's a prominent Republican, but who was so repulsed by Barry Goldwater's embrace of Southern racists that he's protesting outside the 1964 Republican National Convention. Someone tried to fight him in the Republican National Convention and then the person's wife pulled them away. And Lord kind of wish that that would have been allowed to happen because it would have been something But you see again and again that African Americans who called out the racism within the Republican Party were not heard. You know, you had people writing in Jet magazine, you had people writing in black publications like Ebony. You had people talking about this over and over and over again. You know, there's a black journalist for the Chicago Defender, P.L. Prattis, who wrote in 1961 that after the Southern Manifesto had come out, which came from Democrats but was embraced by some Republicans like Goldwater, are Negroes to be first class citizens or not? Are you in favor of that, or are you in favor of the Southern Manifesto. And the GOP in 1964, you know, Goldwater lost in a landslide to Lyndon B. Johnson, but the GOP decided, yes, we are in favor of the Southern Manifesto. Oh, and, wait, wait. and they made that decision again and again. I'm getting to it. Okay. Hang on a second. <laughs> so the legacy of black conservatism is of black people in America tending to be more culturally and politically conservative, but that not having anything to do with how African Americans vote, because the Republican Party has again and again and again said, should we reach out to African Americans? No, we should not, because we need to go after the silent majority. We need to go after, you know, white Southerners. We need to go after rural voters. or we need to go after the people, the forgotten white people, instead of looking towards African Americans who are already, you know, we saw that, Again, with, you know, I mean, obviously this is very different now, but we saw that with kind of Bill Cosby and we see that with many prominent African-American figures who are not currently in prison, who, you know, have very conservative cultural norms. You know, someone like T.D. Jakes or something right. like that. But that has nothing to do with how African-Americans vote because of the actions. But, but this of is the the days, case, I it's think not
0: even like, it's, it's not even a political project anymore, no. right? The kind of, if you look at The conversations between black intellectuals in the first half of the 20th century, a lot of it is what does a thriving black community look like and who should and shouldn't we trust to make that happen and what do we have to do to get there? The kind of post-political conversation among black conservatives is what do our individual young black people need to do to succeed?
3: Right. Well, wait, wait, wait. I, I, I think there is more relevance to this as a political project though, but I think we, we want to be clear on the building blocks of the concept, yeah. right? Because so one thing that some black people do, is—but very, very few—is adhere to the American conservative movement. Right. Right? So that's Clarence Thomas. Right. Right? Clarence Thomas is just bought into what I guess you could call white conservatism, right? And so, like, the American conservative movement has a lot of views on a lot of subjects, Mm -hmm. right? Like— Gun regulation right. and clean air and the importance of religion, but it also has specific views on race, Yes, right? And the distinguishing characteristic of Clarence Thomas is that he accepts the mainstream American conservative movement's view of race,
0: Which is right? in a nutshell that racism used to happen, but— no longer is meaningfully going to impede the lives of non-white people in any meaningful and,
3: and, way. And the black community has no special claims on it. This is why you strike down the Voting Rights Act, right? So, but that's a very tiny, tiny fraction yeah, right. of people, right? and But your point, Jane Wright, is that if you think of conservatism as like a global phenomenon, right? Like there are conservative people in Pakistan, right right? And so there are also conservative African-Americans who in a sociological and psychometric sense value order and hierarchy and tradition right. and go to church every Sunday and think you need to be really strict with kids yeah. and who don't like weird modern art. No, but you know <laughs> what I mean? But like no, the, you're, you're you're, desc- these are the – psych- describing
2: my late grandmother, right. Sally Coaston, American hero who desegregated the church that I grew up attending, who very much was like – We went to church every single Sunday, mostly because she said we had to, and very much adhered to this idea of, you know, she was married to my late grandfather and raised three kids with him. And yet very much so was just like no one in this home, none of you will ever vote for a Republican. Right,
3: because, because then this is then right. the key point, right, is that people who are conservative in their worldview and temperament and so on and so yeah. forth but happen to be African-American have the same view. It's, it's a mirror image of the white conservative view of race, right? They have a lot of in-group loyalty. Right Right, to African-Americans rather than white people's in-group loyalty to white people. So they're not going to vote for the Republican Party. But in Democratic Party primaries, this is actually important because this is a large block of loyalist Democrats who are not necessarily on board for like the most expansive left-wing kind of visions. But also I think critically (laughs) for the subject today, what – Kanye West is expressing is not that no, idea. it is, right? not. like, it a, is nothing thing, to do with that. A thing that, that yeah. could happen theoretically is some kind of consociational rapprochement, right? and George W Bush at times gestured in this direction right the idea that like middle class churchy black people should become republicans right. through like a shared antipathy to uh secular humanism or something and he didn't make that work and trump is like not even trying and kanye west is not that person no. at all he's like the opposite
0: right no th- this is what i what i mean kind of by politi- like a political ideological pr- project is I think the extent to which there's overlap between the kind of things that Kanye— was monologuing about yesterday and the other parts of the Trumpist base is not at all about this idea. It's literally the opposite of this idea of conservatism, right? Like, Marcus Garvey in his time was a radical. Malcolm X was considered more radical than Martin Luther King, purely right. because Martin Luther King, you know, did a lot of the conservative working within the system, respectability politics right. associated, especially— like, But also
3: because Martin Luther King's a liberal, right? I right. Mean, like, like, literally, like, this is an integrationist vision. Right, versus exactly. a A, these people are never going to listen to us. We need to get our shit together.
0: Right. But there is a respect in which the kind of rejection of the assumption that the status quo is never going to help you and was built to keep you down is a radical view that also aligns with white nationalism. As you were talking about with Garvey, the idea of separatism is extremely appealing to people who don't think they owe anything to people of color. Right. So— It's very interesting to see someone who is both stylistically absolutely the opposite of any kind of pro-social, pro-institutional black conservatism. Like, Kanye isn't out there telling black people to register to vote, right? Like, that's—Kanye is doing— He's seeing what he's doing as a much broader transformative project of society. It's a, right. it's transforming what's in people's hearts and minds. That's, right, that yeah, seems th-
3: generous. Yeah,
0: and no, what well, no, I mean you really like? You know, the way to solve police shootings is love. That yeah. is a hearts and minds approach. And also, his entire
2: quote about how slavery is a choice—it wasn't a choice—but that he tried to kind of. This was something he said a couple of months ago, and then he tried to kind of backtrack by saying, like, oh, but, like, the slave mentality—again, I am using air quotes—is a choice. And that, you know, if we keep bringing up slavery, you know, that we're only going to be left in slavery, which it's an ethos, I guess. It's
3: sort of Nietzsche.
2: Yeah, like, I think that it's interesting also because— I think it's a really important point to make that Kanye West is not reflective of anyone besides Kanye West. And yet the idea that he is being turned into this, ah, this is like, I saw people on Twitter saying like, well, this will get black voters in line. And I'm like, one, don't say that. Two, Kanye West is not reflective of literally anything besides Kanye West. Like if anyone has recently watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians, I feel as if like the entire ethos of the Kardashian West family is not something that is really reflective of anyone else. And I think that—I really think that we need to be very careful that this is not black conservatism. This is one person's idea against—you know, I've been talking a lot to a lot of conservatives recently, and I do that for my job, but there's this idea that conservatism itself is an ideology and that some on the right want to move to an anti ideology that is apart from kind of—you uh, know, this has nothing to do with William F. Buckley. It has nothing to do with Edmund Burke. It is purely about opposing the left. Right. And in that, I'm like, okay, that is something I feel as if Kanye is might be somewhat reflective of because, you know, you're not going to get Kanye West out there at the National Right to Life march. You're not going to get Kanye West out there talking about—and this is why— Except actually I'm sure he could probably get really into like more tax cuts because, I mean, being wealthy, he's uh, very interested in. But this idea that he would become interested in the greater – as you mentioned, in the greater conceptualization of what it means to be a conservative, that's not going to happen unless we have completely done away with conservatism and have moved to a vision of the GOP that is purely its anti-left. That's the dream.
0: I want to take this back to Taylor Swift. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. The other celebrity thing that the, the reason that this is just such a beautiful juxtaposition and that we brought in the 2009 VMAs is that earlier this week, Taylor Swift, who attracted a certain amount of criticism from the pop culture media in 2016 as a lot of other celebrities of her stature were mobilizing people to vote, endorsing Hillary Clinton. I would say also Taylor
3: had moved in like 2014 so to a kind of depoliticized girl power rhetoric. Right. Yeah. That that made people, it it raised expectations that that she would engage in a concrete way, which she then didn't do.
0: That's a really good point because uh, Swift then posted on Instagram earlier this week that she was going to vote for Phil Bredesen, who's the Democrat running for Senate in Tennessee, and urged others to vote as well, nicely concomitant with voter registration deadlines in several states. And so in the subsequent days, there was this huge voter registration spike that probably had more to do with the upcoming deadlines than it did with Taylor Swift, although our colleague Constance Grady has done some rudimentary analysis and pointed out that there are Definitely more young voters who registered to vote via Vote.org in particular in the kind of 48 hours after Swift's post than one would have expected from previous patterns. But the thing about Taylor Swift is that in her girl power, you know, depoliticized rhetoric, in the extreme relatability of her songs in the public image that she wants to project for herself, there is a lot of role model ship in Taylor Swift's public persona. You know, she lost some relevance in the cultural conversation in 2017, partly because of missteps involving her ongoing feud with Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, but also because— It seemed like a lot of celebrities were more willing to be relevant and to comment on the news and to take stands and that Taylor was playing it safe and therefore kind of risked, you know, losing step with where people were in
3: 2017. And I would also say that while I I don't think you need to buy into the idea that she exerted a large causal influence on voter registration, but I I think it really is true that her becoming more politically engaged— Sort of is, in fact, typical of her demographic, right? That this has been one of the signature trends of the Trump era is women, many of them white women. In census terms, we typically describe them as college graduates, which she is not. Uh, but I think in psychographic terms, it's like high openness people, which she is. She's a successful artist, right? It's 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 women accomplished professionals becoming more political, right? And so for her, that's going from like very not political to just a little bit political. For many other people, it's going from routinely voting to routinely protesting to – there's all these like record-breaking fundraising halls being announced today from better O'Rourke, from uh, Sherrod Brown in Ohio, from a lot of House candidates. As best as we can tell, th- that seems to be women who probably were – Involved in politics to some level, but becoming more involved in, in the Trump era. And her explanation of what she was doing, like, it wasn't like Phil Bredesen is the most amazing person that I've ever seen. It was she was expressing outrage at Marsha Blackburn, Right, you know, was her sort of stated rationale for it. She didn't mention Brett Kavanaugh at all uh, since Bredesen, at least in theory, was pro-Kavanaugh. But the timing of the whole thing, at least to me— It really seemed like that was a straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing, that she had spoken previously, again, in a not super political way about sexual harassment type issues.
0: She literally testified in the trial of someone who she accused of groping
3: And like now— And one, Right. And so like now she was going in, right? Like Republicans had gone— too far. And she even like explicitly said that like in line with her previous quasi political persona that like it was weird to be weighing in against the woman candidate the first time she weighed in on a race, right? But it's it's showing, right, that like She's expressing psychologically a just amped up level of being mad.
0: There's also a heightened level of solidarity, right? Like the fact that she feels the need to explicitly refer to herself as like needing to hold up other women is very much the opposite of a kind of getting off the democratic plantation just because other people are following doesn't mean I have to. And like I think it's very important – there's a kind of tendency – to either see celebrities as the hostage of this kind of politically correct Hollywood culture. Right. Like, and that's there was a, a conservative criticism that Taylor R- Swift so- was Salam, yeah, yeah, he wrote yeah. a piece about that. That she was engaging in performative wokeness, um, or to see them as people who are trying to kind of be cultural political leaders, whether or not that's appropriate. And I don't know that either of those polls is really accurate. I think the truth is something in the middle that people who are trying to stay relevant and continuing to, you know, make money off their their celebrity, which requires having a finger on the pulse of their constituents. But Taylor Swift's entire persona has been very, like, pro-woman and pro-social, right? She, like, has a girl squad. Her friendships have become, over the last few years, a more reliable source of celebrity gossip than her relationships, which is saying something. Right. But that kind of pro-social, you know, identification works much better with the, you know, holding up other people... Tide of the resistance than somebody like Kanye who thinks of himself as a genius and an artist first and foremost and understands that no one's going to like him and that isn't going to matter. And so, you know, especially when we're talking about inspiring political behavior, one of these models is much more likely to see political engagement as something that they want to engage in themselves and inspire others to do than the other one. And Taylor Swift isn't necessarily reflective of anyone but the particular image that taylor swift has built for herself right but there's a reason that in the same way that she's built a rapport among women of her generation and a little bit younger for being pro-woman in this depoliticized way that like she is also making that turn now whereas kanye has always made his money off being weird and not like everybody else right
2: exactly and i think that you know on 808 and Heartbreak, the concept of being apart and being separate from something else. If you watch the video for Love Lockdown, it's him in a white room while space aliens are doing something, but he is just observing, and the sense that he is separated from something else. But I think that we it's important, you know, when we're talking about celebrities, that celebrities, they are just like us, which means they do, in fact, have political opinions that might just be of their own volition and not in an effort to be performative. Taylor Swift might actually just be a liberal who wants to vote for a Democrat, and Kanye West might actually be Kanye West who likes Trump. And I think that this also goes to this idea that people's voting is based on either they don't know enough to not vote that way, or they are voting the way they do as a means of performing to others. And I think I, I want to get the, you know, I hate nothing and the world enrages me as much as the whole, like, Democratic plantation because the assumption is that black people are too stupid to recognize that they could vote for the Republican Party rather than the Republican Party having done markedly little to appeal to African Americans who might, as we've talked about, have, con- Conservative ideas. And I think that there's something really to be said about letting Kanye and Taylor beat Kanye and Taylor.
3: That seems I'll like a good note that. To add on. Fantastic. Well, thanks, guys. It's a lot of fun. I want to thank, as always, our sponsors, thank all of the listeners out there, our producer Griffin Tanner, and the weeds will return on Tuesday.